God says, give me what you have if you want me to take care of what you have not. So the woman said, well, I've got a little vessel with some oil, and that's all I have. He said, go out and collect every bottle you can, every container you can from all over the countryside. Come and collect it. So she did what she was told. See, that's amazing if we'll just first do what God told us to do. She went and collected everything, and she poured that bottle of oil, and it filled up another bottle, and another bottle, and another bottle, and another bottle. How's that work? God just asking, what do you have? Are you going to trust me with it? You know why some of you never make it any further than you do? It's because you're just not even tithing. Well, I give offerings. You can't even give an offering until you tithe. Why? Because you're not trusting that God owns everything. Pretty soon every bottle's full. And Elisha asked her, said, are there no more vessels? She said, not a single one in all of the country. Think about it. God supplied something from nothing. You having financial troubles? Why don't you start giving it to the one who could fix them? Start trusting the one. Are you pursuing God or are you pursuing treasure? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. I want to take you onto a journey to just dovetail in with last week. I pray, I'm not going to ask a raise of hands, but I pray that our perspective of life, the way we've been looking at different things, as far as eternally instead of temporally, uh, this year will be unlike any year you have ever had in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, in our church, if you've been in our church for any length of time, we talk about the end times. We talk about the things that are happening in this world. I have the privilege of leaving tomorrow morning for Israel. I'll leave early tomorrow, and yeah, it's going to be a wonderful time. Thank you. But I'm going there, and I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping to actually spend time with the Israeli Defense Forces, or the IDF is what you hear them talked about. And uh, I'm going there with Christians United for Israel, the largest Christian American organization in the world. And this is very important to understand, that we're not just a part of just something. It's because when the church fails to support Israel... The church fails to become the church. 
And so what we have to understand today is everything God established from the Garden of Gethsemane, for, excuse me, from the Garden of Eden to Gethsemane to the cross to the tomb and here 2,000-something years later has all been for the purpose of eternity. In today's world, in your notes, man has been so perplexed and confused on the issue of worth. If you go to the library or if you go to Barnes & Noble, you go to a bookstore, you will find row after row after row of self-help books. How many know what I'm talking about? Why? Because man has no help in himself. He has no worth in himself outside of Christ. And so the world is trying very hard to find that worth in you or in me. So in today's world, much of man's, this is going to be a little bit of a play on words, but listen to it, much of man's worth seems to be determined by man's worth. Let me clarify, much of man's self-worth seems to be determined determined on his material or physical worth. That's the society we live in. How many can say amen? But what we are, and and what we are, seems to be determined by what we have. I remember when my wife and I first started pastoring this church, there would be things said like, this is the rich church, because my wife and I both drove Lincolns. You say, well, Pastor, that's pretty cool. Well, that's fine. We're better today. We're driving a Mercury and a Dodge. How's that sound? Okay. But we drove Lincolns, and the reason we drove Lincolns instead of a Ford or something else is because I could buy Lincolns cheaper than I could buy a Ford. So if I want a little bit more, you know, leather or whatever in there, that should be okay. Patrick Smith, I need your favor, my friend. Our lion is crooked, and it is bugging me. Folks, you got to understand, i got a little bit of this type A personality. Will you bring the, the front corner down? Down. Front, no, lion. Front corner. Yeah, the right side. Down. That's good enough. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody. <laughs> what are you going to do with a guy like me? Yeah, pray for me. Pray for me. <laughs> Pastor Philemon. We need to nail that puppy so it doesn't go crooked. Much of who we are is determined in today's world by what we have. But I am here to declare in this new year, it would be great for us to begin to keep or to get and to keep a right perspective, therefore the devil will never be able to come in and undermine the solid ground. Can I say that? The solid ground who is the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ, that we have committed our life to build upon. You see, as Christians, God's word, in your notes, underline this, please. God's word, is that in your notes? Underline those two words. God's word determines who we are by whose we are. But there is a contingency clause, not in God's word, 
as far as our value, but in this world that we live in. And that contingency clause is our desire, the desires of our heart have to become the treasure of our desires. John, third John chapter two, a very familiar verse. We, a lot of people in the prosperity movement use this. And folks, you say, Pastor, are you a prosperity preacher? What's the alternative, folks? You may be a poverty preacher. Are you one of those healing preachers? You may be a sickness preacher. I mean, come on, what's the alternative? So yes, I believe God's word in prosperity. Look what it says in 3 John 2. Pray, I pray that you may prosper. Now circle that word prosper in your notes and then write temporal next to it. God wants us to prosper in this world. It's not talking about physical prosperity as far as finances and stuff like Necessarily, though, it is when you study in the original language, it actually is talking about that too. So you got that circled and you got word temporal next to it. In all things and be in health. He gives the understanding. This is how I want you to prosper in everything in life and your health. And then he puts a caveat. John, the apostle, is writing to Gaius, his friend. And he is talking this conversation back and forth. And he has got this understanding going on here. And he said, I want you to prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. Circle that word prosper and write next to it eternal. Because everything in the temporal is situated because of the eternal. Are you okay? Let's go down to Psalm 37. Send your notes. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. So by virtue of context, it says, you're in the Lord, therefore you do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. There's that word again. Circle it and write the word temporal next to it. Take the delight. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Oh, We love to take that scripture and just pull it out. You see, I'm pleasing the Lord, so God's going to give me everything I want. It's not what it's talking about. Are we okay? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Let's drop back to the fourth verse. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desire. Circle that word heart, and right next to it, eternal. Let me paraphrase that fourth passage, that fourth verse. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. What the passage is literally saying in the original language, if the Lord becomes your delight, his heart will become your desire. Are you with me? If the Lord becomes, if you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, more than anything else in this world, guess what? His heart will become your desire. Therefore, eternal things will begin to manifest. Eternal things will begin to open. Because eternal things are open and temporal things fall behind. Every physical fruit has a spiritual root. Am I making sense today? Matthew 6. 
do not store up. Underline and circle that word store. Do not store up. And then right next to it, temporal. Say, Pastor, why am I writing temporal? Because this is where we live our lives. And we have to understand there's a whole more, bunch more to life than living and dying. Are you okay? Life isn't about living and dying. Life's about eternity. That's what it's about. I've shared the story how years and years and years ago, probably, I don't know, 25 years ago, I was doing a funeral of a, of a baby. And I got a little ticked off at God. You ever get ticked off at God? Go ahead and raise your hand. Lightning's not going to come down and strike you. I've gotten mad at God a few times. And, and that's okay. God don't have a problem with that as long as you repent and move on. Because how many know it's not God's problem? Look at somebody and say, he knows what he's talking about, don't he? I was doing this funeral, and I was upset at God. I said, God, what's the deal? This baby didn't do anything. Why couldn't this baby? Come on, what's the deal? And God spoke to me just like I'm speaking to you, and he said, you put too much value on life. Now, don't get me wrong. Life has huge value. Blue lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Hebrew lives matter. Palestinian lives matter. Life matters, folks. But when God puts value on life, this is what he spoke to me. You put too much value on life. I put value on eternity. And until we get a right perspective, I want to start 2015 with the right perspective. Last week we talked about the most important thing to God, the salvation of the lost. Nothing more important. The second most important thing is your temporal life. Because everything you do in the temporal affects the eternal. Are you okay? So I'm not going to take very long this morning. I know some of you are rolling your eyes saying, yeah, Pastor, you always say that. Store up. Do not store up. That's temporal. For yourselves, treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in to steal. But store up. Circle that word store up and right next to it eternal. See, the whole thing is about the temporal and the eternal. But store up for yourselves treasures where? Where? In heaven where nothing can destroy. And then I circled it or I underlined it in your notes. But I want you to really grab a hold of this. We've thrown it around like an old dish rag. But this passage is imperative to you and my eternal life because it has everything to do with our temporal life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We would think where, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Now God says, where you put the most value, everything else will follow. I'm going to step on toes a little bit. Some people come to church on Sunday mornings because they figure that's their duty. They don't come to church because that's their value. They come to church just because that's what they're supposed to do. They'll never show up for anything else. They'll never do anything else. Why? Because they got conflicting values. Temporal and eternal. And as a child of God, our values are all supposed to be what? Eternal. And then we reap. The temporal. Am I making sense? I told myself I was going to make this so simple that an eight-year-old could understand. 
I was talking to a pastor friend of mine back in Tyler, Texas, when I started our first church back there. And his name is Bob Bell. And Brother Bell, that's what he goes by, Brother Bell, big old southern boy down in Texas. He said, son, I was a brand-new pastor. I've never done it before. He took me under his wing, Baptist pastor, took me under his wing and, and, and said, I want to give you some insight on this pastor and stuff. That's just how he talked. And that's where I got that eight-year-old thing. He said, son, if you can preach on the level an eight-year-old can understand, you got the chance of reaching half your church. In other words, it was long before the K-I-S-S thing. You know, keep it simple, stupid. I try to keep it simple. Don't store up. Thank you. I like that. Trust in the Lord. Don't store up the things on the earth. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The eye, circle that in there, please. And I left it in your notes. It is your perspective the Bible is talking about. The way you view life. This is the lamp of your body. Or rather, this is what's going to show everything you do and everything you purpose to do. If your eyes are healthy, if your perspective of life is healthy, healthy, your whole body will be full of life. Your entire vessel will be filled with the light of God's glory. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you have an unhealthy view of life, an alliance of life, if you will, your whole body will be full of darkness. And even the good that you do will have the tendency to go bad. Why? Because we have a different loyalty. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then I want you to underline these words, very famous words. No one can serve two masters. My oldest daughter, she was here in church with us last week. And she was raised in church, and she's had difficulties and struggles, and, and God's done glorious things, and he's helping her. But as a young teenager, she had this epiphany. She said, Dad, I know my entire problem in the church. The Bible says I can't serve two masters, and I got you and your mom, you and mom to deal with all the time. Masters, Tim, masters. Yeah, some of you get that later. You cannot serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one despise the other. Circle this one simple word. You cannot, circle that, cannot serve both God and money. Now, I find it interesting how the translators in most translations have taken and turned that word mammon into money, when it does mean money, but it means such a varied amount more, and I will take you into that in just the next few moments. This world's blessings can be a curse, but it's really the heart that matters. It's really the matter of the heart. Look what it says. We cannot serve God, two masters, God and mammon. The Greek word for mammon is a Syrian word, and it literally means any type of gain. But then if you read through the original language and you start dissecting it, what it means in a broader perspective is a system that's personified and opposed to God. The mammonic system is opposed to everything that is God because it tries to get you and I to place our value on the here and now and not the then and there. Can you say amen? 
It literally, if I can bring it down in simplistic terms, whatever in this world is accounted as gain is mammon. In a word, it is narcissism. It is self, self-fulfillment. It's the world's trinity. You say, Pastor, what is the world's trinity? Me, myself, and I. Sensual and secular. It cannot be served juxtaposed to God. It cannot be. If it is served, if we are striving in our system, in this world, to make a name for ourselves outside of joining our name unto Christ, it's in contradiction. First John says it this way, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. That kind of nails it all, doesn't it? Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. Look what it says here. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. The here and now, the temporal. A craving for everything we see. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, in the book of Proverbs said, I, I didn't hold, or excuse me, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I didn't hold anything back. Everything I wanted, I got. Everything. Then he said in the 27th proverb, he said, just like hell and destruction are never full, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Are you traveling with me so far? Everything we see, pride in our achievements. You say, Pastor, does that mean we shouldn't have pride? Yes, you should. But pride should not have us. We look around this facility. You can see a spirit of excellence. You can see a pride in the facility to bring for the glory of God. A lot of people say, well, you know, God's not in the building. You're right. But when I read my Bible, God is challenging, continually challenging you and I to do our absolute best. Can you say amen? We're talking about pride in achievements. We're talking about in our possessions. It goes on to say that these are not from the Father, but from the world. Now, let me go back to that passage there in the book of Matthew. The scripture does not say we must not. It does not say we should not. It says we cannot serve God and the world system. You can't love both. You'll hold to one, despise the other. This is why, and I want you to look at me. Take your eyes off your notes for just a second. This is why the prosperity message is such a dangerous message. I'm not opposed to it. Once again, I told you I am a prosperity preacher as far as the word of God goes. We have to be careful teaching prosperity because we have to keep the balance so that we don't come to a wrong conclusion. God wants us to prosper as our soul prospers. He wants us to prosper temporally as we are prospering eternally. Can you say amen? And then God gives us very clear understanding in Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
Look what it says in the 18th verse. It is God that gives us the ability to gain wealth. God gave you that ability. Why did he give it to you? So you could have everything you wanted? He gives us the ability. Look what it says here in verse 18. So he can confirm his covenant. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? He was dealing with mammon. Oh, he was dealing with Satan. Remember Jesus, Satan's words to him? If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Look, don't look at me like that. The devil tried to tempt our Lord and Savior. Saying, I'll give you everything. Say, Pastor, how does he do that? Jesus is the Lord of... No, Satan is the God of this world. He had the right or, and authority to give Jesus. If not, Jesus would have rebuked him. But what did Jesus say? He said, don't tempt me, buddy. I'm going to serve God and him alone. You know what he said? The world ain't got enough to keep me eternally. Is this all making sense? You see, we, we have to get this right perspective to have the, vi- the, the, the victory that God has called us to have. He said in, Roman, in Deuteronomy 8, I give you the ability to get wealth that I could establish my covenant on this earth that we would not consume it upon selfish desires. He said he blessed us. That word blessed comes from the original language that means to be empowered to prosper. He has blessed us or he has empowered us to prosper. Let, let, me, let me talk to you for just a second about the Jews. Isn't it amazing that the Jews are prosperous no matter what they do? When they took Israel back in 1948, it was a barren wasteland. Look at it today. Why? Because God said, I will hold my covenant and I will bring it to pass with my people and all those that bless you will be blessed. All those that curse you will be cursed. Isn't it ironic? Except for the black oil in the ground, the Arab nations are some of the poorest nations in the world. Look at the irony of it. America and Israel, the two nations in the world that were founded on God, and are the two most prosperous nations in the entire earth. How many think God is good at fulfilling his covenant? And look what God told Abraham when he's establishing his covenant in Genesis 12. He said, I have blessed you. It's in your notes. Circle this, please, that you can be a blessing. Do you know why we prosper? That we can bless everybody else. That's why God blesses. That's why God prospers. To be able to bless others. And I wrote a a note and I left it in your page. I wasn't going to do that. I was going to have you write it down, but I figured I'd just leave it. If prosperity benefits nobody but you, then mammon has a tendency to be a problem in your life. Can you say amen? You see, the perspective has to change. I've heard people say, Pastor, preaching prosperity destroys people. Yes, it can. But only if you preach it out 
of balance. The Bible is very clear. It only destroys those whose treasure is in the wrong treasure. Now, I know some of you might leave this place today and say, well, this is what you said. Pastor, you said this. You said, no, people sometimes they hear what they think I said. I've heard people repeat things over the years, but I am going to articulate God's word as clearly and understandably as I can. That's why it's always good to get the tape or, oh, excuse me, CD. To get the truth in context. Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. In other words, if God becomes your treasure, if God becomes your delight, his heart will become your desire. If we pursue God, blessings will pursue us, number two, quickly. So that's the question we have to ask today. Are we pursuing God or are we pursuing treasures? In Luke chapter 12, it's not in your notes, but write it down, Luke 12, 15. Look what it says here. Beware, guard against every kind of greed, because life is not measured by what you own. First Timothy 6, a passage that brings a lot of confusion because people like to take it out of context, says that the love of money doesn't say money, doesn't say possessions, doesn't say abilities and talents and gifts is the root of all evil. It says the love of it. The love of money. There's nothing wrong with having things or having money. It is our attitude towards it. If we develop an attitude of attainment, then we've got a problem. If we won't give because all we can do is think, well, this is going down, then we're basing our life in the temporal. But if we give, understanding that it's going up, then we're basing our lives in the eternal. Are you with me? This is why people have a hard time with tithing. They think, well, God, you know, I can't give what I don't have. You're right. So if you have zero, you give zero. You mean if I have a dollar, I'm supposed to give? Yes, you are. How much? Ten cents. Pastor, what if it's welfare dollars? It's still dollars. It's still increase. Oh, man, did you notice how it just got really... I just bring up the word tithe, Pastor, and it just... But think about it. If I'm not doing that, who am I placing my confidence in? That almighty dollar instead of that almighty God. And the minute I place my confidence in that almighty dollar, I lose. You say, well, no, no, I'm, I'm being okay. Yeah, but you lose because now God's hands are tied and able to bless you. Well, no, it's because that's the way God's word says, you give, I give. You do, I do. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation, you walk in, it's like, give me, give me, give me, give me. God says, surely. 
But from there on out, God says, okay, who's going to be your God now, you or me? Are, are you okay today? See, I'm trying to start 2015 with the right perspective. You say, Pastor, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. I can take you scripture after scripture after scripture. The widow with the cruise of oil and the little bit of meal. The widow woman with the two mites. It's interesting how God gave the great, the most, the most uh, depraved scenario, if you could. And I, I say this respectfully, but in that time, if a wife didn't have a husband, she had no means of income because the wife couldn't work. And so God said, let me show you how this thing works. Go bring me your cruise of oil. Well, I only have just a little bit and a little bit of meal, and, and I'm going to make a bread for my son and I, and they're going to eat it and die. What a great testimony. Elijah says, bring me the cake first. That, that, God, I can't believe how selfish God said, make me the cake first. Look at me, look at me. God said, trust me first. Get your perspective right. It's not about what you have here. It's what you have there. 2 Corinthians 8 says, don't worry about what you don't have. Trust me with what you have, and I'll take care of what you don't have. Okay? This is what God's Word says. So the woman brought the cake and gave it to Elijah. Now think about him, the audacity, sitting down in front of mama and that boy and just eating that cake. Mm. Mm. The boy's probably saliva going down his face. Mama's probably bothered. He's about halfway through the cake. He said, oh, go ahead and go make you one. We don't realize we don't have anything. And she goes back and looks, and guess what? She has enough oil and enough cake meal to make another cake. And you know, the Bible says that went on for almost seven years. How does that work? There's another widow woman that says, you know, my husband has died, and they're going to take my two sons and put them into slavery to pay off some of my debt, and I'm going to be a slave. And Elijah, or excuse me, it's Elisha this time. Elisha, I believe it is, comes up to her and says, what do you have in your house? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. What do you have in your house? See, I got about 10, 15. I got 25 bucks in my house. God says, give it to me. <laughs> God says, give me what you have if you want me to take care of what you have not. So the woman said, well, I've got a little vessel with some oil, and that's all I have. He said, go out and collect every bottle you can, every container you can from all over the countryside. Come and collect it. So she did what she was told. See, that's amazing if we'll just first do what God told us to do. She went and collected everything, and she poured that bottle of oil and it filled up another bottle, and another bottle, and another bottle, and another bottle. How's that work? God just asking, what do you have? Are you going to trust me with it? 
You know why some of you never make it any further than you do? It's because you're just not even tithing. Well, I give offerings. You can't even give an offering until you tithe. Why? Because you're not trusting that God owns everything. Pretty soon every bottle's full. And Elisha asked her, said, are there no more vessels? She said, not a single one in all of the country. Think about it. God supplied something from nothing. You having financial troubles? Why don't you start giving it to the one who can fix them? Start trusting the one. Are you pursuing God or are you pursuing treasure? Some people say, well, pastor, I don't love money. I don't have any. You know that the jails are full of people that are there because they tried to get what they didn't have the wrong way. They loved money and they wanted more of it. There's a book called The Heart of Paul written by an author named Ben Campbell Johnson. And this is what he says about Matthew 6. He said, no one can live with loyalty to conflicting values. When a person finds himself in a conflicting situation, he must choose one and resist the other, devote himself to one, neglect the other. You cannot live with a double loyalty. Ladies and gentlemen, either God is your God or the world system is your God. Well, I don't love the world system. If you're not doing it God's way, you love the world system. Let's have an altar call now. Uh, Folks, this is what the Word of God is trying to keep us from. We can't have divided loyalties. James 1 says their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And because of that, they're unstable in everything they do. You see, it's commitment to the purpose of why we do what we do, why we're here. This is what matters. That's why it tells us in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourself treasures on the earth. So, pastor, does that mean I shouldn't have a savings account? That's not what it's talking about. That does not be become your refuge. God is still your refuge. God has never intended blessings to become a status symbol. Can I tell you, the person that dies with the most toys still dies. Can I be brutally honest? What keeps you and I from attaining what God desires in our lives is that we live a double standard, trying to serve God and the world. Let's go back to Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures on this earth. They will erode. They will corrupt. They will be stolen. Valuing what we accumulate is not great value. Why? Because values change. How many lost their shorts in the stock market crash a few years ago? How many has it never recovered? Why? It's never going to, folks. God's economy and man's economy are not the same thing. That's why God says, trust my economy. It's very important to keep our eyes focused on the right thing as this determines 
the perspective on all things. Matthew 6 says it this way. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. This is what the world worries after. And look what it says here. God already knows you need it. But underline this. But seek first his kingdom above everything else. And he'll give you everything you need. Let me wrap this up this morning. I quoted Proverbs 27 already. This is hell and destruction are never full. The eyes of man are never satisfied. Understand, God does bless the faithful. In Proverbs 28, 20, it says the faithful shall abound in blessings. But here's the key to all of it. I read it in Psalm 37, 4. If God becomes our delight, his heart will become our desire. What could happen if we direct the energy for more things on God? What would happen if we say, God, I've been trying to run my business and I really haven't had you a part of it. Yes, I pray. Yes, I believe. But yet I've not put God first in my business. I know the minds are going on right now. Pastor, am I supposed to tithe on my business? According to the Bible, we are. If we want God to be a part of it, we've got to do things God's way. Look at Matthew 6, 33. Seek first His kingdom. And everything else will be added to you. We don't pursue things. We pursue God. And God adds the things. There is absolutely nothing in our life that can be able to stand before the Lord, between the Lord and us. I am willing to give all to show that he is the most important thing. Is that your prayer? Is that your statement? Look at Abraham. 25 years God promised him a son. God gave him a son. And then a dozen or so years later, God said, oh, by the way, I want you to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah as a sacrifice. I mean, God give it, and now God's taking it? And we know the story. God stopped Abraham just before he plunged the knife into Isaac. But look at the key. God said these words to Abraham, and you can, you can read the story in the book of Genesis. He said, now I know you love me. Look at me, please. Look at me, please. I'm not telling you that you have to give everything. But what if God told you to? What if God told you to give every single thing you have? I just want that to sink in for a second. Would you still love God? Oh, I see you preachers. That's all you think about is money. Not at all. I think about lots of things. But I do think about this a lot. Why? This is the mammonic system. It used to be the golden rule. 
know, love your mother, your brother as yourself. But now it's he who has the gold makes the rule. Think about it. Well, Pastor, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do the other thing. My wife and I, our, our entire lifestyles have changed because of the income. We, we left both of our secular jobs, and now we work full-time for the church. Drastic change. But guess what? I think we're still living pretty good, aren't we, sweetie? All because of what God's done, folks. God's taken what we had, have, and he's taken care of what we didn't have. And we're doing pretty good. I mean, I've, I've gained 10 pounds. No comments. See, what if God said, take everything? You see, if you have this perspective, God is my delight, therefore God's heart is my desire, we could turn to the devil just like Job did and say, listen here, puppy, the good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, it wouldn't matter anymore. Because everything I am is his. Man, wouldn't that be cool to live like that? I'm not saying that we have to give. I got I to drive that home. People are going to say, your pastor wants me to give everything. I don't want you to give. With the heart of giving is all. Where your treasure is. We have to begin to pursue more of him as the worship team comes. Colossians chapter 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Back to Matthew 6 once again. When you get a proper perspective, other things will take care of themselves. In Matthew chapter 4, Peter and Andrew, very successful business people, very successful businessmen, own fishing business. Jesus walked by. Look what he said in Matthew 4. One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now you notice he wasn't standing there with a seminar. Prosperity. Let me show you how to get all of this. Let me show you how to do all that. He wasn't doing a seminar and then people got excited to come. He was just walking along the shore of Galilee. He saw Peter and Andrew throwing a net into the water, and he called out to them. He called out to them. Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And I love the original language, and the King James actually has it written this way. I believe the King James does. Several translations says, immediately they dropped everything and followed him. Didn't think about it. Your life and mine. Do we want the prosperity God wants? You got to let go of everything else. You got to give your job to Him. You got to give your wife to Him, your husband, your kids, your family, your friends. You got to give everything to Him. Well, let me, let, let, me, let me weigh this whole thing out. And there's validity 
to weighing things out. James and Peter, they immediately left everything. You know why? They knew whose presence they were in. Please, look at me for just a couple minutes. If you're really living in the presence of God, is everything really His? Is it? Everything you have, everything you do, everything you say. You say, well, Pastor, man, I'm not perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about dedication. I'm talking about heart. I'm talking about treasure. Where your treasure is. Where do you place the treasure of your life? If it's not Christ and you call yourself a Christian, then your entire life will be full of stumbling blocks. Because a double-minded man, a double-loyaled person, will be unstable in everything. God's a jealous God, he said. It's my way or the highway. Are you okay? See, what I'm trying to do today is get a perspective that's correct. When you walk away, I want you to walk away understanding what the Scripture tells us very clearly. They dropped all and joined Him. They dropped all. I don't care about ministry if that's what it is. I don't. You know, people say, well, pastor, I'm not in full-time ministry. It has nothing to do with that. Before I was ever a full-time pastor, I was a full-time pastor. Why? Before I had the office of pastor, I had to call a Christian. And it's full-time. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are.